Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is over Malachi chapter 3, Things That Never Change, part 3. We have missed a Sunday together uh, in Malachi. We're going to go back to where we left off last time, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi, remember, is one book to the left of Matthew. If you know where Matthew is, you can find navigate to Malachi. In fact, we're going to be in the third chapter, which is the second to the last chapter of Malachi, also the second to the last chapter of the entire Old Testament. Old Testament is 73% of your Bible. It's huge. Uh, it's massive, way over half, and uh, has that much bearing on us as well. So last time we were together, I can't believe you're back, uh, because I told you the last time we were together, we were talking about money, and that when I came back, we were talking about money, so I figured this would be the Sunday. You know, 10, 15 people, crazy people, would be here because you know I'm going to hammer you today on money. And so while you're here, I don't understand because you're just crazy as I am. Why do, we have, why do we talk about money? I mean, isn't it enough, all the yahoos on television and all the crazy stuff that they talk about and begging for money and all this, and of course claiming that God has bought them a Learjet and having uh, houses on both coasts, you know, in Florida and Africa and all kinds of places. Why do we talk about money? Well, because no matter what those guys do, we can't get around the fact that the Bible speaks a lot about money. In fact, some very important things about money. For instance, Paul says to the Corinthian church, each one must do just as he is purpose in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. We're not holding a gun to your head or anything. For God loves a cheerful giver. Learn to be cheerful about it. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Don't we? Shouldn't we want that for you? So we're just not going to talk about money because, oh, well, you don't need all the grace abound to you because, eh, well, that's not that. It's, you know, it's overrated. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance in every good deed. Wow. So we would withhold speaking money so that you not have a correct mindset about money, don't handle your money correctly so that we could keep you from all that? No, we have to speak to you about money. He goes on. Now he who, is, who supplies the seed to the sower, he's speaking about a general pastoral situation where the seed to plant and harvest, now speaking to your seed, speaking about money, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Shouldn't we want that for you? I think we should. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. We can't avoid stuff like this. This is have-to stuff, isn't it? Shouldn't we want this from you? Shouldn't we want this? Look, honor the Lord with your wealth, and from the first of your produce, shouldn't we say that to you because of what else it says there? So that your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will overflow with new wine. We're going to keep that from you? We're not going to do that. Luke 6. Given, it will be given to you. There you go. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do we speak about money? Shouldn't we want this for you? Shouldn't we say what Jesus is saying? Shouldn't we not enjoy it? He wasn't afraid to, to speak about money. In fact, he spoke about it a whole lot. We've been pursuing this, this, these three things here in Malachi list here that... Uh, that, that never change about God. Look at what it says in verse 6 for chapter 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. And we saw a couple Sundays ago that God is, three Sundays ago as a matter of fact, God's, God's passion for purity. And then two Sundays ago we started looking at this whole issue of that God blesses those who put him first in their finances. Again, you have that on the screen there. You have all these verses there. It's a plethora of verses in the scripture. So let's read and see what this says again one more time together over this topic. Look at verse, uh, verse 8. 
Will a man rob God? Well, they'll try. But technically you can't, because it all, it's all his anyway. Yet you're robbing me, ultimately robbing yourself. But you say, how we rob thee in tithes and offerings, God says. Those things are required. You're cursed with a curse. Is that what you need in your life? I don't know about you. I've got a lot of problems already. I don't need added curses that I can decide out, I can opt out of. Here's one of them. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this. The only place in the whole Bible that he says, test me, is with regards to finances. Do you, do you trust him? This is the way you say yes. This is the way you say no. Let me just say this to you. Don't nod your head even though I made you do it, I know. Put your money where your mouth is. That's what God's saying. Do you trust me? Put your money where your mouth is. It will be demonstrated by the way you handle your finances. And who's first, me or your money? Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. There you go, that blessing. Pour out upon you a blessing until it overflows, and then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that you may not destroy, that may not destroy the fruits of your ground, and nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, it, again, a changeless principle. God always blesses those who put him first in their finances. Again, back to the question. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Then if you do, put him to the test. By the way, either way, you're putting him to the test. So if you don't trust him and you're not giving, you're asking him to come through on what he says here in the negative sense. You follow me? Either way, it's a test. So you know, I'm not going to put God to the test. I mean, I don't, so you're going to be chinchy with God and you're going to wait and see how chinchy he can be with you. And you're going to find out he controls everything. You won't like it how it goes. So I would suggest do it on the positive side, put God to the test as he asks you to. Again, why don't we, why don't we talk about money? Because, it, well, Jesus talks so much about it. For crying out loud, 16 out of 29 parables in the New Testament are about finances and money. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one in every six verses speaks about money. I don't see how we can get around this topic, you see. Oh, well, it makes me uncomfortable. I am so sorry. So sorry about that. But we're still going to do it. Again, the Bible doesn't speak a lot about money because God wants or needs your money. Right? We talked about last time. You cannot give God money. I'm going to go to church and give God some money. You'll never be able to do it. It was already his. It was his when you, it was in your pocket at the house. It's his when it's sticking in your bank. It's his when you keep it when you should be giving it. It's still his. So don't think God's going to ever be impressed by what you give to him since it was already his to begin with. What he's impressed with is the heart that trusts him as opposed to trusting self or trusting the financial world that's out there. That he's impressed with, not any amount of money. He's certainly not, not impressed with that. You shouldn't expect him to be so. But because, listen... He does want our hearts. He doesn't need or want our money. But he does want our hearts. And since, since our money follows our hearts, he is very interested in our cash flow. Very interested in it. He's going to put his finger on it in your life. He already is. So last time we were together, we built a foundation of three principles, and we've discussed them briefly here already. Uh, number one, none of it's yours. You want to talk about the tithe? 
uh, the tithe is really out the window unless you understand 100% belongs to him. When you give money, you're not giving it to God because God already has it all. It's not about the money. It's not about the amount. It's about your heart. That's the heart of the matter. God is interested in your heart, and until you get your heart right about the issue of money, money will run your life. Well, I should say your heart will, and your heart's evil because you think money's more important than God. That's a huge problem. All of it belongs to God. Number two, the way we know it is is because you're soon to lose it. Everyone in this room, you're soon to go, you're going to go belly up in the next 30 years, most of us here. How do I know that? I mean, literally belly up, we're going to put you in the ground. Guess how much you're going to leave behind? All of it, right? Yep. Yep. So how do we know it's not yours? You don't get to keep it. No one does. Everyone loses all of it. So be careful with it and use it accordingly, knowing where you're headed and knowing what's going to happen. So number one, it's not yours. Number two, you're going to lose it. Number three, most importantly maybe, you're going to be held accountable for it. So it almost seems like life is a game. Yeah, it does. So when it's all over, all the money and all the pieces are up, rounded up, put back in the box, but then you get held accountable for how you played the game. Play accordingly. Play wisely. Play according to the rule book. Now, there's got a whole rule book out there in the world, and it's a mistake to follow that set of rules. You will regret it. And I would say sooner than later, you will regret it in this life. You really will, because God said there's a curse upon people that handle their money like that. So what do we need to do to get where God needs us to be? It belongs to God. We're going to lose it all. We're going to be held accountable for it. Now a fourth thing, number four. You ready? Here we go. God demands our first and our best of everything, not to mention money. God demands our first and our best, something that is otherwise labeled in the scriptures as the tithe. The tithe actually isn't a word in the old languages. It is a word of, it's old English, but it's not, it's not Greek and Hebrew, okay? The Greek and Hebrew just say tenth. We get the whole word tithe all mixed up, and we think anytime we give money, it's a tithe. It's not. It has to fall under two qualifications. Number one, it has to be a tenth. So if I make $100, how much is a tenth? $10, not $9. You give 11, that's awesome. But if you give 9 and call it a tithe, it ain't a tithe. But it's not enough for it to be 10%. Listen to me. It also has to be the first money that you get. Now hear me carefully on this. It's not a tithe. Again, the amount doesn't matter to God. It's not just the amount. It's also the timing. Because again, what is God after? Not your money. He doesn't need your money, but you need to give him your heart, and your heart follows, the money follows the heart, right? How do we know where your heart is? The first place where the money goes. What's the first? The best stuff you've got. So the tithe is off the top. If, you want to, if you're going to call it a tithe, it's got to be off the top. And God don't, doesn't call it anything else. If you want it to be cursed and rob God, then wait till the end. Well, I'm still giving 10% even though I'll wait till the end of the month. Well, who are you trusting then? See, that's the issue. It's not the amount, guys. Well, I'm just so scared and I'm afraid, and yep, and therefore not trusting God, and so here we go. All right, I, I, I give 100000 in December every single year because that's what I've got left over. Awesome, that's great. It's not a tithe. Oh, it's more than 10%. It's still not a tithe. Because you've managed your money the whole year. I trust myself. I trust me. I trust what I do. I can handle my money. I can bless myself. I can do that. And whatever I have left over, even if it's way over 10%, God should be happy with. He's not. He won't ever be. 
Because it's about your heart, it's not about the money. It's about your heart. It's not about the money. So it, it's got to be 10%, and it's got to be off the top, or it's not a tithe. God who created you, listen, and to whom you owe everything, asked to be first in your life. I think that's reasonable. How about you? As opposed to not letting you live another day, I think the request to be first in my life, I think that's okay. Sending me to deepest, darkest Africa or putting me on the face of the moon or whatever else he could possibly do, which are limitless with me, that to be first in my life, I think that's a reasonable request. So I must put him first also in my money so that he can bless the rest of it. Else I shouldn't expect that. Put him first in your life, put him first in your money, put him first in your life so he'll be able to show through your life what happens to a person who puts him first. Let him do that. That's all he's asking here. That's all he's requesting of them. So that I can bless you and so that other nations can call you blessed, but you're robbing me and yet you want to turn around, you, wanna, you want me to put you first, <laughs> but you're not putting me first. I'm not going to give a testimony to the world like that, a bunch of people doing whatever they want to do, and yet in the end I turn around and bless them. I'm not going to do that. Don't, again, you're putting God to the test when you act that way. Bring the whole tithe, as he says here, to the storehouse so that God's work can be done. It was, this was told to me as a true story, and I can't verify it, so I'm going to tell it to you as, as a story, a preacher's story, a parable. There was a, uh, a church, church treasurer was resigning. We had that happen here in our church recently. We got a, a great one uh, that uh, took, took the spot, and we're very glad that she's here. The church treasurer that was resigning, she just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, she was getting too many things happening in her life, and she couldn't handle it correctly, and so she wanted, she turned it back over to the church and said, we got to find another church treasurer. Well, no one in the church wanted to take the position. It was a volunteer position. No one wanted to take the position. There were several people that were qualified, but most of them said, I don't have time, I don't have the ability. The one that everybody wanted to be the church treasurer was one of the deacons in the church. He uh, ran the grain elevator there outside of town. Most of the people ran their business through him. They were all farmers. So they knew how he handled money. They knew he was smart. They knew he was a rival. They knew he was a faithful man in the church. He was a godly man. He was a giver. Uh, he served. He uh, just was a leader in every way, in every good sense, sense of the term. Plus, he had a really good sense, a really good uh, brain in his head about, about finances. They kept going back to him, please, brother, won't you please just consider doing this for us? Do it for a year. So he finally came back to him. He says, listen, here's the conditions. I will do it for one year, and at the end of that year, I'm quitting. Whether you have a treasure or not, I have to quit. He said, but I will do it for one year on these conditions. Number one, I make no financial reports to the church. They're like, oh, you got, he says, I don't have time. He says, you want to use me, you're going to use me with the time I've got. Here's the deal. You either trust me or you don't. And if you don't, it's better for me, you know, it's easier for me. But if, if you trust me, you want me to do this, I'm not going to make any, any, uh, any treasures reports to the church for that, that year until the end of the year. I'll make, I'll make everything clear. It'll be all clear. It'll be all laid out for you at the end of the year. And he says, and I can't have people coming by and asking me questions all the time. He says, I just don't have time. He says, okay, we won't ask you any questions. You don't have to do any reports at the end of the year. Just please take over our finances. Well, he inherited the books from the previous uh, treasurer with uh, the church had a debt of 228000 uh, When he brought his report to the church in December, no more debt. They were like, wow. In addition, they looked and the pastors had gotten, had God bless him, had gotten an 8% raise. <laughs> they also looked and they found out that they had increased their giving, the church had increased their giving in that one year period to missions 200%. They were blown away. How, 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 did, this, 
How did this guy do it? In addition, there was $12,000 in the operating account, cash. They were just like, you know, I mean, they had a lot of respect for this man. They were just like, how did you do this? And he said, well, you all bring your grain through my grain silo, right? He said, yep. He said, I took 10% out of all your stuff, and I cashed it, and I put it in the church coffers, because I knew that's what you would want to do. And he said, you never missed it, did you? Wow. What does it say? Bring the tithe into the storehouse so that God's work can be done well. Then and only then does God bless the rest that he lets us keep. See, when we honor him first, then God puts us, is able to put us first. I mean, he's, you're first with him. He loves you. You're his children. He gave his son for you. I mean, he's already put you first. But on a day-to-day -day basis, it may not look like that per se, and some, sometimes it's for other reasons. Sometimes it's simply because you're being cheap with him. You're, 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 you don't trust him. You don't believe his scriptures and just say you don't. Oh, well, I do, but your money's not where your mouth is. God says, you're putting me to the test in a wrong way. So let's find out how it goes. So, so let me deal with the whole argument with tithe always comes up in the church. We always hear this question, or I always do. Uh, the question about, well, the, the tithe is no longer in effect in the New Testament church because it was an Old Testament principle. And, and let, me, let, me, let me just address that here on several levels. Number one, I'm going to tell you a secret and promise not to tell anybody. There's no such thing as an Old Testament. Did you know that? Or a New Testament. Do you know those are designations that we put on the Scriptures that are never themselves put on by the Scriptures? Like there's not a writer in the Old or New Testament that calls the Old or the New Testament by those designations. Neither does Jesus, nor any of the prophets of the Old, nor any of the writers of the New Testament. They all call all the Bible, Scripture, the Word of God. They don't delineate between one being valid and one being, we have this whole issue of, well, part of it's valid and part of it's invalid. I don't know where you got that from. Since Jesus, every time he referred to the Scriptures to authoritate his job as Messiah, he always referred to the Old Testament. Not a word in the New Testament did he speak of. I'm not saying the Old New Testament isn't inspired. I'm just saying we, we, we downplay the Old Testament, and I'm not sure where you got that from. We made this delineation for the sake of navigation. Go to the Old Testament, go to the New Testament, but let's not let our delineation turn into something that's made it into a this or a that. It's not like that. It's all the Scriptures, all of it, and it's all the Word of God. And so there is a difference in an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. And under the Old Covenant, there was different ways that God dealt with people. They were both saved by grace, whether Old or New, new Covenant. They were both saved by sacrifice, either the blood of an animal or ultimately the blood of Christ, who those animals represented. But it's both, they were both basically the same. The difference really, the only really major difference between the Old and the New, as people are saved under, is the position of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Prior, prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit would come and go and only be on certain people. After his death, burial, and resurrection, new covenant, then the Holy Spirit comes to stay. He never leaves. And he is perpetually with every single believer, no matter what their rank is in the kingdom of God. So that's the biggest difference. Nonetheless, people argue that since the tithe was enforced under the old covenant, that we no longer have to keep it. Now, to those people, I would advise them to read a little bit more than they already have. 
My advice is that they need to read deeper because what they're going to see is, is that the tithe, which is enforced under the old covenant, is also enforced under the new covenant because it was enforced prior to either one of those covenants. Watch. Now, this is 400 years. 400 years before the first word was written by Moses in the old covenant. Abraham comes back from a war. By the way, he could fill an army from the men born in his own house of over 200 men, all armed. That's amazing. Now, you talk about, now, talk about rich. This guy was uh, Donald Trump times 10. Amazing amount of, of finances and wealth, and yet this man loved God with all his heart, and notice how he gives to him. So Melchizedek, this is the high priest in Jerusalem, blessed Abram, saying, Blessed is Abram by God most high, creator of the heaven and earth, Praise be to God, Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. And then it says, Then Abram gave him, the priest, a tenth of everything. And my question is, if the tithe is a part of the Old Covenant, which isn't written until 400 years after this event, where did he get that percentage from? Huh? I think we can safely say he got it from God. Just like they got the sacrificial system that they operated under in those days, this high priest sacrifice. Prior to the Old Covenant, hundreds of years, you find in the very first, the very fourth, the fourth chapter of Genesis, the first two uh, sons of, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they were delineated. In fact, there was a rupture in their relationship, and Cain ultimately kills Abel because Abel was sacrificing according to the, the description of what he, where did he learn that from? Well, where do they learn any truth from? It doesn't happen up here. It comes from God. They learned the sacrificial system from God. They learned the tithing system from God. It was always, listen, a principle of giving. That it was incorporated into the Old Covenant doesn't erase the fact that it existed prior to the Old Covenant. Look, 100 years later, here's Abraham's grandson. Now, talk about a guy who handled his money bad. He's not a guy to follow. He's always making deals, including with God. Don't ever do that. Here's here he making a deal with God. If I return to my father's house in safety, I'll let you be my God. Well, how... How magnanimous of you, right? That guy. Something else. And this stone which I've set up as a pillar will be uh, God's house. And of all that I give you, I will surely give a tenth to you. Where did he get that percentage number from? 400 years before any covenant was ever written. From, from God, right? That's Like I said, the tithe supersedes the covenant because it existed prior to the covenant. Why do we tithe? There you go. It's always been a principle. It's always been the basis of our giving, always. Again, the tithe is a biblical standard, not an Old Testament or an Old Covenant standard, a biblical, a Word of God standard, old or new, however you want to call it. So you need to be tithing, and it is 10%, and it is the first 10%. Got that? Good. And we say, well, the standard New Testament is a cheerful giver. Yeah, so that means that you need to tithe and learn to be happy about it. Let me ask you this. How did you raise your kids? And if you did, I know how your household went. So you set rules for your kids, but then they didn't feel good about it, and you're like, well, that's okay, sweetie. You don't have to do anything right until you feel about it, feel good about it. Is that the way you did it? And there was no sheetrock on your walls, and even the bricks got torn off your house because your kids were wild animals, weren't they? No, what do you say to your kids? Here's the rules. When I say jump, you ask how high. That's exactly the way God runs his fatherhood. He doesn't say 10% only when you feel about, good about it. Learn to feel good about it. Do it. And then learn to feel good about it. 
Again, God doesn't demand something from us because he needs it. He does it because we need it. He knows what our wicked hearts will do if given free reign. You can't turn a bunch of children loose in the house of God because they'll tear the sheetrock off the place. You have to set rules, and he does. He really does. Again, the standard of the New Testament, and again, understand this, is greater than the tithe. Again, it says here, tithe and offering. Offerings are beyond the tithe. Like a tithe is 10%. What is 11% is an offering. 12%, 15%. By the grace of God, God has allowed my wife and I to be able to give above our tithe all the years we've been married. All the years. I'm not saying that to say, oh, wow, look at Pastor Bill. No, God's given us it. his stuff. And we want to give back to his, his ministries. And this is our ministry. This is the place where God has, God has called us to. And so certainly we want to give back to him and back to the people who serve him. But again, the, 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 the standard of the New Testament is, is not just the tithe. It's sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. Here's, here's an example, and I've given this before here in the church, but I'm going to give it to you again. Let's say I make $1,000 a month living here on South Padre Island. That's all I make. Do you think I'm going to make it on $1,000 a month on the island? Probably not. Beanie weenies, ramen noodles, living in a tent on the beach, maybe. But rent starts at $800, the cheapest stuff, and it goes up from there. And then if I shop at Boo Marlin, holy cow. At least there's free transportation, right? And get over to Walmart or something like that. But, but am I going to make it on $1,000 a month? Probably not. But, but God says that I'm supposed to pay a tithe. So what's the tithe of 1,000? 10% of 1,000? It's 100 bucks. So that leaves me now with 900. Am I going to be making it on 900? $100 less than I was making it on 1,000, right? It's going to be rough. What do I need to do? Well, I would say to you that a person in that condition who's given $100, that is sacrificial giving. That tithe is sacrificial. My best advice to them is you need to move away from here somewhere else. <laughs> because we hear people all the time, Pastor Greg and I have this, we call, them a, they call it the send, it, send them away ministry. They're going to come down, they're going to make a bunch of money on the island. And we're like, probably not. The best way to come down here is come down here with a bunch of money and then you just lose it all over time and then you go back to wherever you're from. But to gain money here is tough. Now, so I make $1,000 a month living on the island, tithing $100, trusting God for the 900. I would suggest to you that person is smart. Now, probably not smart to live here. You probably need to find something else to do. But trusting God constantly with your money is your, always your best bet for, by far. Let's say, on the other hand, I make $100,000 a month. So what's the tithe on $100,000 a month? Ten. Thousand. That's a lot of money. Wow, right? So what does that leave me? Ninety. You think I'm going to be able to make it for the month until the next paycheck on that $90,000? Let's hope so. <laughs> so I gave a gigantic amount of money compared to the $1,000 earner, did I not? Way more than she gave or he gave. And yet for me, $10,000, is that sacrificial? Hardly. 50,000 looks sacrificial, but am I going to be able to make it this month on 50,000? Let's hope so, right? You see what I'm saying? There, so, so to say that a tithe is it's only that, no, the standard of the New Testament is sacrificial giving. Again, the emphasis is in verse 8 here, if you look again there at Malachi, the emphasis is tithe, which is the minimum, and the offering beyond the tithe. 
Again, again, God doesn't demand something from us because he needs something from us, but because we need it ourselves. You need to get this financial issue right in your life. Or you're bringing down curses and problems upon yourself. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't need that in my life. God knows what a heart that's focused on him or not focused on him will do to itself. It will self-destruct. And because your money follows your heart, he's very interested in where that money's going because it tells him and us and you where your heart really is. And so if I'm focused on myself and I put money first, then I become inward, I alienate others, I destroy relationships, I become unproductive, I have heartaches and regrets, and you think God's going to sit around and let his child be that? He's not going to do that. So what is he going to do? In love, he's going to pull the rug out from under you. And, and not just financial, he can do it in all different areas, and don't, you know, please don't doubt me on that. He will not stand for it. God will pick at every detail that keeps you from keeping him first. You just need to know that. He's going to do it. He's going to keep you from going the wrong way. Why does money matter? Because it does. A universal principle is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So God's going to let you sit around and love money ahead of him? He's not. He really won't. So you say, well, I can't afford to tithe. The Bible says you can't afford not to. Look at verse 8. Well, a man robbed God. Yep, he'll try. Yet you're robbing me, but you have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, it says. For you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Do you really need that? Can you afford a curse on your finances? I know I can't. Then in verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer. So to not have the devourer rebuked in my life, can you afford that? I know I can't. I, I will, and the destroyer, the fruits of, of, of your fields, he says, can you, I can't afford that. I can't afford to not have the devourer rebuked in my life. You, you can decide to live on 100% of your money, but you're going to do it by yourself. That's what God says. You're going to do it by yourself. You're going to do it without my blessing, without my favor. You know, in Spanish, buena suerte. You know, go out there. If, you want, if, you, if all you trust is yourself, well, then guess what? You're going to get it to yourself. And you won't like how it turns out. On the other hand, you can trust God with 10% and live off the 90% that God blesses and find out what he does. I, I want to tell you a story about a former church member. And um, I'm not going to tell you their whole names because you may know them, but I'm going to tell you their first names. There, there were a couple who have been dead a long time now, Stanley and, Stanley and Daisy. I got to know Daisy really well in my former church. Stanley had already passed away by this time. Stanley and Daisy came into a bunch of money. Here's how they did it. They were smart. They moved into the Laredo area of Texas over here. Um, Godforsaken area as far as ugliness. I mean, just ugly. Tough. Just cactus and thorns and rattlesnakes. And moved over there trying to eke out an existence. Had hardly any money. Newly married. Uh, got it in their heads, and this is in the 20s, 1920s, got it in their heads that it's impossible for, they came through and explored all of West Texas and South Texas for oil and gas. Gas, not so much, but oil was, of course, uh, becoming valuable. With the technology of the day, they explored all this region, and they came through the area, and some ranches had oil on it, other ranches did not. In his head, he was thinking, along with his wife, that's not possible. It's not possible for brother so-and-so's 50 acres right here to have oil on it and my 50 acres right here to not have oil on it, sitting right next to each other. 
So they came through and explored all the area. All the price of land went up until all the oil was found, supposedly, in the area. And then every land that did not have oil on it, guess what the prices did? And so, smart guy, he took what little money he had and literally for pennies per acre bought land. Continued to buy land. 100 acres, 50 acres, 20 acres, 10 acres, 1,000 acres occasionally. Pennies. Literally pennies. The land was only worth what the surface was. He bought it with minerals and everything because he believed this, that the time would come when the, tech, the demand and technology would get to the place where they would come back and find that there's oil in that entire region. Well, so they eke out an existence, running cattle on property, barely making a living, barely putting ends together, young couple having kids, hoping against hope that their plan would work out. Sure enough, here comes World War II. World War II meant there was a spike in two things, the demand for oil and the technology to find it, and they went through all of West Texas and South Texas, and guess what they found? There was oil everywhere. In fact, they found that if we had just simply not given the Mexicans the land all the way to the Sierra Madres and kept, not just made the, the Rio Grande the border and made the Sierra, we would have doubled the oil and gas, and land, but we'll let the Mexicans have it anyway. So they found oil and gas on every inch of Daisy and Stanley's property. Daisy and Stanley went from economic existence to being, they could start a fire with their money and it would never, it would almost be as big as the sun. I mean, we're talking about super wealthy very quickly, very committed Christians. So, so one of the things they didn't do because of their conviction before God is even though they had the capability, they didn't go buy a couple of yachts and houses on both coasts and living in Africa and who knows all kinds of places at any given time. They were perfectly capable of that. They decided to stay where they were. They lived in a modest home, smaller than my home for the rest of their lives. And they took their money and they invested it in ministry. The little church that I was a part of over there, three quarters of the budget, was paid by that family. They, they invested in a, in a ministry here north of, north of uh, Corpus Christi, and it became, came to be called Zephyr Baptist Encampment. All of our kids know what this place is. They've all been there many times. Zephyr Baptist Encampment was underwritten by this family. All the property was. Most of the buildings, a lot of the buildings had their name on it, not because they asked, because they gave all the money for it. Because they believed that God wanted a ministry there and that kids needed to be reached for Christ. They believed that kids would be saved and lives would be changed to that ministry. This is back in the 50s. They did this. And they continued to invest. Well, Daisy and Stanley have now been dead for nearly 30 years. By the way, when they died, guess how much they left to their kids? All of it! <laughs> yeah. Because I don't care how much you've got or don't have, you're going to leave all of it. They left all of it to their kids. They went came from their mother's womb naked, like Job says, and they went back naked, right? They go straight to God with absolutely nothing, only what they did with what God had given them from the short window called our lifetime, what they had done with it. And so they've been sitting in heaven for 30 years doing what? Laughing, I can tell you right now, because they invested so wisely. I can't tell you the dozens of kids that have come through our ministry, not just this church, but how many ministries that have come through, that have taken their kids to a place called Zephyr and seen them saved, seen their lives changed, seen them rededicated. And Stanley and Daisy are sitting in heaven with not a cent to their names, collecting dividends. Very smart. Very smart. You've got a very short life, a very limited amount of time, very limited amount of money. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to handle it? I want to ask you please to bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we conclude this morning. God, 
He's interested in our money, not because he needs it, because he is so interested in our hearts. We need to be very interested in the same thing. Our hearts, guys, our hearts are what's making us or breaking us. It's our hearts. It's not our money that's making us make bad decisions. No, it's our hearts. It's our love. It's, it's where our priorities are. Do we have a priority? Is God our priority? Is he first? It's not enough for us to say that he is. We really got to put our money where our mouth is. It's not enough to wish that he is and ask him to be. We really got to do something. And it has to do with our money, it has to do with our time, it has to do with our ability, it has to do with everything. God's got to be first because that's the way we were created. You can't go against the way we were created. God's got to be first in your life. Is he first? Is he first? Would your, would your, would your checkbook look like it? Would your, would your lifestyle, would your decisions, does, do you say that he is, if we examine these things, would that really demonstrate it? Heavenly Father, we so desperately need you to be first in our lives. We've got to get things in the right order. We need to be first in every area, not the least of which is our finances, because those things can be so, they can really wreck us if we aren't careful. Help us to do what you say. Help us to trust you and stop trusting ourselves. Help us, God, to be faithful, God, to you, so that you can show how you work through people who put you first. Thank you, God, for hearing us. Thank you for speaking to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.